Let's pray together. Father, would you now take your word and plant it in the hearts of your people and cause it to bear fruit. Cause us to resonate with what Paul says here. Cause us to feel his passion and to imitate him as he follows and imitates the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would cause the same kinds of things that happened to Paul and as a as a result of his preaching, Lord, cause those same kinds of things to happen in our lives. We pray that there would be surprising repentance. We pray that there would be transformed lives. And we pray that there would be indomitable courage and completion of the course. And Lord, we ask that you would get the glory for all this because it would be empowered by your spirit through your word in the name of Christ. Amen. I would invite you to open this morning to Romans chapter 1 and we'll be looking at verses 9 through 13. Romans 1, 9 through 13. And as you turn there, I want to try to help you feel Paul's burden by relating some details from a, a story in Friday's paper. It's a story about a woman from the Yazidi people. It's a, it's a minority people group in a territory where ISIS was in power. And when ISIS came to power, they, they initiated what what looked like it would, if they had remained in power, it looked like it could have developed into a genocide against this particular people group. Um, they, they rounded up the men and slaughtered them. And the women, they awarded them to fighters or sold them in slave markets. And um, I, I just want to read you this one paragraph here. As, as, this, as a place where these ads uh, were placed, there were, there were women being advertised as slaves on, the, on this site, and then uh, there were uh, ISIS fighters who were uh, looking for women. And in one such forum, this article says, called Caliphate, Caliphate Market, so it's, you know, the Caliphate, and this is their market, uh, a fighter sought to purchase a woman posting his specifications among advertisements for PlayStation consoles. So this is the world that we're living in. And uh, also advertised here were second-hand cars and suicide belts. This is what this guy says about the woman that he's looking for. She must be beautiful, good at cooking and housekeeping. Age doesn't matter. She should be cheap. And in the article, it talks about how women, young girls as young as, as nine or, or younger were taken into these situations. This is recent past we're dealing with. The, the article is about a woman who was taken into one of these situations 
And then the man that she was married to, forced marriage, the ISIS fighter to whom she was awarded, he, he, he got her pregnant, and then he was killed in the fighting. And then ISIS falls. And now this woman, who's from this Yazidi people group, what's she going to do with her life? The Yazidis, her people group, uh, they're not Christian and they're not Muslim. They're kind of a mix. They, they worship a peacock angel. So th this is the utter darkness and lostness that she comes out of. But they're, they're, they're what's called endogamous, which means they only marry within their tribe. And anyone who marries outside the tribe, this woman was in a forced marriage. She's married outside. She's rejected. And then they told her, you can come back, but you can't bring the child of the marriage. And so early on in the article, one of the things that she said was, I can't live without my son. Um, and, and, and then there are, there are accounts how, I mean, I'm just, let me just read you, read you this next this statement here. Forced to choose. Most women have left their children behind, or in some cases been pressured to give, give them up. Um, some of these women were counseled to abort their babies. We're, we're t the reason I'm telling you about this is because these are people that, that don't have the hope of the gospel. The, the, these are, this is what society looks like where Christ is not known. Uh, it's, it's a wretched and horrific place. And that's the kind of world into which Paul took the gospel. One more thing about this. Um, maybe you saw that bridge collapse in Genoa. Genoa, Italy. Did you see this video this, in the news about a week and a half ago, a week or two ago now? Um, th this video of these cars going over the bridge and then the bridge collapsed. 656 feet of bridge falls 150 feet and traffic is just streaming over this bridge. And, and so dozens of cars collapse with the bridge and, and over 43 people are dead as a result of this and, and others injured. That's what these people's lives are like. These people that live in darkness, they are screaming down the highway on a road that leads to destruction. And the bridge is out for them. The bridge is... In the video, some guy captured the bridge collapsing, and in the video, you can hear him saying in, in Italian, Mongia, my God, my God, as the bridge goes down. I want to put these things in your mind because I want us to feel a kinship with the Turkish Jew named Paul who was ministering, in Greeks, uh, ministering among Greeks in Achaia, writing to Italians in Rome. The ministry of the gospel is not Western imperialism. The ministry of the gospel is the hope that God has given for people who are, who are enslaved, who are enslaving, who are without a home that they can go to, in a refugee camp somewhere. Uh, there's, a, there's an account that there's a doctor from Oregon, and I'm reading this article, and this, this woman that the article is about, she's now at this refugee camp, and at that refugee camp, it's run by a doctor from Oregon, and I'm reading this article just praying that this guy's a Christian, just praying that he's there to do ministry. 
Look with me, if you will, at Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Paul has introduced himself. He's talked about how he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He's, he's a called apostle. He's talked about his gospel. And then he's addressed these people in Rome. Rome was as dark a place as, as Baghdad, as, as London. It was the capital of the world. It was, it, and, and Paul, we know, his, his strategy seems to be to target major cities and then to hope that the gospel is going to filter out into the countrysides from there, which happened. That seems to be what happened with the church at, at, at Colossae. Uh, he had not himself gone to Colossae, but he had gone to a major city nearby. And then uh, somebody that knew Paul had taken, Epaphras had taken the gospel out into the countryside. And now he seems to be wanting to move that strategy to Rome but in God's kindness and providence, there's already a church there. And if we ask ourselves, how did there get to be a church in Rome? It, it could have resulted from the fact that on the day of Pentecost, back in Acts chapter 2, we read about how there were, there were Jews from every nation under heaven. And then in the list, there are Roman Jews in Jerusalem for the celebration of, of Pentecost on the day when the Holy Spirit falls. So maybe there were some some Roman Jews, Italian Jews, who got baptized after hearing Peter's sermon, and then maybe they took the gospel back home to Rome, and maybe they began to, to uh, serve the Lord and, and, and minister. Uh, whatever the case, look at what Paul writes here in Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Paul is thanking God for these people who believe in Jesus because this is God's work. Nobody is going to believe in Jesus except for God. Nobody's going to know about Jesus except for God. Jesus is not going to be the Savior of the world if it's not for God. So, so God is the one who originates the plan of salvation. God is the one who has chosen the elect. God is the one who puts it into people's hearts to go and take the gospel. And God is the one who opens the, the blind hearts and the blind eyes so that they see the glory of Christ. And so Paul is thanking God. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. And, and, and think about the fact that this guy is from Tarsus. This is a Turkish Jew who's, as I said, ministering in Achaia. He's probably writing from Corinth in, in the Greek realm. And now he's thanking God for these Italians that he's heard about. There's no nationalism here, is there? This is, this is the gospel at work, breaking down barriers between people. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Paul, in, in this letter, and, and all over his letters really, uh, he's, he's going to say the words through Jesus Christ so often. Paul he talks about himself here, right here in this passage, and in the passage that Matt read earlier, as though he's a priest, and he's, he's ministering the gospel, and then he's presenting the offering of the Gentiles, and he's going to the Father through Jesus Christ. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The news about the church in Rome has gotten out, and Christians all over the world, it's, it would be kind of... The way we would feel, the way I felt earlier, earlier this summer, Jill and I got to go to London, and, and we spent a week there, and we were so encouraged by the believers there. We were so encouraged by these, these fervent, vibrant churches in this global financial capital of the world. These, these people who are ambitious for the gospel in that place. 
That's the kind of thing that Paul is talking about. Rome is the capital of the world. And he hears about these believers and he commends their faith. He's thanking God for them. He wants to go there and do missions. But he's acknowledging and affirming the indigenous church there. This is, this is beautiful. It, it, would, it, would, it would be like somebody today wanting to go someplace like Beijing. And as he writes the letter to the believers there, informing them of his desire to go and do work there, he's affirming the, 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 them for their faith. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And then Paul, Paul says in verse 10... For God is my witness. Why, why does he say this? Well, because he's going to talk about his prayer to God. So he's, he's calling God to whom he is praying as the witness of how he's been praying for these people. God is my witness. And then before, if we just skip the intervening phrase, at the end of verse 9, he says that without ceasing, I mention you. So that's, that's, the, that's what he's calling God to witness to. God is my witness that without ceasing, I make remembrance of you. So these first verses here in this section, verses 1 through 10, they're focused on Paul's prayer. I thank my God, verse 8. God is witness how without ceasing I make, I, I make remembrance of you or make men, mention of you in verse 9. And then in verse 10, always in my prayers. Paul is a man of prayer. Let, let me just encourage you, imitate Paul. Follow Paul as he follows Christ. Jesus was a man of prayer. Very early in the morning, I don't understand why Jesus needed to pray, but he did. Very early in the morning, he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus had close fellowship with his father. Paul is clearly devoted to prayer. And, and so I, I want to urge us all. I, I'm hearing this in my, in my own heart. We, we need to be more consistent in prayer, more vigilant in prayer, more devoted to prayer. Paul is a man of prayer. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. Uh, the, the verb here when he says whom I serve, this is a verb that's used in the Old Testament often to describe priestly service. It, it, it speaks of the way that priests serve the Lord uh, at, the, at the tabernacle and then later the temple. It's used in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when, um, when Moses urges Israel, he says to them, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. And Paul is saying, God is my witness whom I serve... And um, it's interesting that this verb would, would be used there in Deuteronomy 6. This is also uh, the verb that Jesus quotes at the devil when Satan tempts him to bow down before him. And Jesus quotes that passage. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God in him only. You shall serve. And it's like, it's like Paul is using this, this, this word with all these wonderful connotations to describe his priestly service in the, in the offering of the Gentiles as, his, as he pursues this life of worship as a living sacrifice himself. Romans 12. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. 
Uh, Paul is proclaiming uh, a gospel that has bad news. It has bad news that explains your experience. We, we, all, we all know what I'm talking about. Every one of us, uh, we know that, that there are things in our lives that we don't want anybody to know about. There are things in our lives that if, if left unchecked by the Spirit of God and the Word of God and, and the teaching of the Scriptures and godly influences friends around us, we would ruin ourselves. We would make our lives nothing but wreckage. Sin is, sin is devastating. But the gospel has the diagnosis. The gospel is able to explain what is going on in our hearts when we do things that are inexplicable. This week I was thinking about that statement in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The, the heart is, is desperately wicked. And then, he, and then he goes on to say, who can understand it? There is evil that, that we enact that we can't understand. Who can understand it? And, and maybe you've seen somebody wreck their lives and then look at it and say, why would they do that? What were they thinking? That's the way we all are. And, and the good news, it, it, it comes with bad news. Years ago when Jill and I lived in, in Houston, we lived next door to some people that, that were going to um, Lakewood Church, Joe Osteen Church. And, um, and our, our, my neighbor, he said to me one day, we were, we were talking about things and I was trying to kind of see what his experience was like at that church because I was concerned about him because I think that guy's a false teacher. And, and this guy says to me, he goes, you know, the Bible's got good news in it, but there's bad news in there too. It was almost like he was pushing back against all, you know, he was only hearing one side of the story. And it was like he was saying, no, there's bad news in there too. And we need the bad news. The bad news is good for us. So the, the, this gospel of, of God's son that Paul is preaching it's, good news. it's bad news that explains our experience, and then it's good news that brings life. It's good news that, that tells us that one has died in our place to pay the penalty that we have brought upon ourselves. It's good news of a God who loves us, and a Savior who died for us, and a Spirit who gives us life. And it comes in this book that, that will direct us. So Paul says, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So Paul is trying to get to Rome. He's trying to get there. And, and if, if you think for a moment about the reading that we that we had a few moments ago, we, we saw in Romans 15 that Paul says, in, he, in verse 21, he quotes Isaiah 51 about how those who have never been told of Christ will see, those who have never heard will understand. And then in verse 22 of Romans 15, he says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. So Paul has been trying to get to Rome, but it's like the Lord has been saying to him, no, there are more people who need to hear where you are. And so the Lord keeps hindering him and keeps thwarting his attempts to get to Rome. And he keeps asking for, for the ability to finally get there. And finally, as, as, as he's completed the work of the gospel, he's still hoping, by God's will, at last, somehow, to succeed in getting to Rome. 
as I was, as I was thinking about this, uh, I couldn't help but think of our brother and sister that were on the screen earlier, who um, I, I reached out to, to Tyler this week, and he, and he gave me a, kind of a, a missions timeline for their family. So their first uh, international experience together was actually all the way back in the year 2000. They were in, they were in school together, and, um, and they went on a mission trip, a family mission trip um, together. And then um, uh, four years later, 2004, Tyler spent three weeks in um, South American countries. 2005, he went over to Europe for some work over there. Um, eventually, um, they come to a place where, where they're planning to just get the minimum required amount of education so that they can go overseas to do, to do work, to do gospel work. And they wound up um, being detained in various ways. I mean, it's really almost like Paul asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. They're trying to get over there. They wind up spending a full three years here getting an education um, after they've paid off loans after Tyler had worked for a time. And then they begin the, the process with the, the agency that, that they've gone with, and they finally get there. Um, uh, they land in September of 17, and they, they start into the work. And, and all along the way, it's like uh, Jenna's health is not quite right. And then in March, they have this scan that reveals a tumor and after all this effort to, to get there, they're back in the city that they grew up in, in Arkansas, of all places. And, and, and as, I was, as I was talking with Tyler about this, I could hear on the phone that he just, I was talking, I was asking him, I was, we were discussing this passage, and, and I was sharing with him what Paul is saying here about how he, he's asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. And he said, you know, Jim, it, 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 it was evident that he was just so helped to, to, to think of how Paul wanted to be somewhere, but he was providentially thwarted by God so that he could be somewhere else. And, and, and as I thought about, about them, I also thought about others in our congregation who have tried to go and been providentially thwarted. Um, uh, usually, there's several of them that are seated right here. I only see two of the four I'm thinking of right offhand. Um, but God, God, it's like he buries this, this seed in our hearts that we want to go do this work. And then sometimes he opens doors and sometimes he, he thwarts those efforts. But he's got a plan. Paul, I was talking to, to Matt about this this week. Paul eventually gets to Rome but not exactly the way he intended to get there, you know? Acts 28, when he finally arrives in Rome, he's in chains, and he winds up bound up, tied up against this, this Roman soldier all the time, but he's able to proclaim the gospel nevertheless. And then listen to what he says in the, in the letter to the Philippians. I think he's probably writing the Philippians in that situation, he's wanted to get to Rome for a long time, and, and now he's, he's locked up, and he's chained to this soldier, and he's finally gotten there. And listen to what he says to them. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
Me being imprisoned and sent to Rome as a prisoner and now be being tied to this, to this soldier, this is all served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, Caesar's crack troops, they all know why I'm in chains. They're all hearing the gospel from Paul. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So, so Paul is eager to get to Rome and, he's, and he's, he's thwarted and he's hindered and yet through all of this, the Lord is at work and through all of it, he continues to pray and he continues to, to, to proclaim the gospel. Still, still trying to get to Rome, ultimately because he wants to go on to get to Spain. So in, in verses 8 through 10, I would suggest to you that what we have here is Paul's prayer. And if I could apply this to our lives, I would, I would encourage all of us to think in terms of devoting ourselves to prayer for the purpose of evangelism. I went looking for some, some quotations on this, and um, this is what Andrew Murray said about, about prayer. He said, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. Spurgeon said, if we cannot prevail with men for God, we will at least endeavor to prevail with God for men. Brothers and sisters, let's be devoted to prayer. Let's follow Paul and, and let's thank God for indigenous churches and affirm their work. And then let's pray that, that uh, somehow God would uh, succeed in helping us to get there to support them or that somehow God would open doors for us to serve here. We have an opportunity to pray, pray this Wednesday night. This Wednesday night, we can gather together, we can hear the word taught, and then we can devote ourselves to pray. We can, we can pray for our, our overseas workers whom we're supporting, and we can, we can pray for the local efforts. And I would plead with you to, to pursue this with us. Um, we see Paul's longing in verses 11 and 12. Look at verse 11. Paul writes, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul is longing to go to Rome to have fellowship with these Italian Christians. He says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. People, people discuss what exactly uh, he intends to impart to them. And um, uh, it's interesting how um, both... Uh, uh, cessationists and non-cessationists agree that the spiritual gift that, that Paul primarily wants to give to the Roman church is the gospel. And, and when you read the rest of this letter, he's, he's expositing the gospel. So he's, he's wanting to impart to them all of the truth that he communicates in this letter. But I would, I would suggest that maybe that doesn't exhaust what he's after, in part because of what he says, in, in, again, in Romans 15. In Romans 15, verse 19... Uh, Paul says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, he's been doing ministry. 
And I think it's likely that he intends to go to Rome and, and he intends to uh, give them the opportunity to see the, the power of the Spirit of God at work in his life. And one way you could render this when it says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, this, this particular word impart uh, is translated share other places in the New Testament, that I may share with you some spiritual gifts. So I think it's possible that Paul is saying, I, I long to see you so that I can share my spiritual gifts, the ways that the Lord has gifted me with you so that your church can be uh, built up and encouraged by these, these signs and wonders that he talks about back over there in, in Romans 15, verse 19. And the purpose of all this, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He, he wants to go and strengthen the hearts of these believers in Rome. And then he says, verse 12, again, affirming the indigenous church, then he says, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And, and I don't know if you've had the opportunity to, to, to go somewhere, but almost invariably, people come back from mission trips and you know what they say. I was probably more encouraged by them. I was probably more blessed by them than they were by me. And, and this is the kind of thing that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Can you imagine how encouraging it would be to be a, a, I mean, think about Rome. It's this massive city, this overwhelming hordes of people. And however big the church is, it's probably small in, in, in the face of the wider culture. And they get this letter from Paul the Apostle talking about how he wants to come visit them, that he may be encouraged by them and how he's longing to see them, and how he's praying for them. This would be so tremendously encouraging to receive. So we see his prayer in verses 8 through 10. We see his longing in verses 11 and 12. We see his purpose in verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So again, he, the reason he's praying that he may now at last succeed in verse 10 is because he's often been hindered in verse 13. But look at the purpose. Look at the intentionality. Look at the ambition for the gospel that is beating in Paul's heart. I have often intended to come to you. He is making plans. And the reason he's making plans, look at it in verse 13, in order that I may reap some harvest among you. He, literally, what he says is that I may have some fruit also among you. He wants the seed of the gospel sown. He wants that seed to come to fruition. And then he wants fruit to be reaped. He wants people to turn from dead idols to the worship of the living God. He wants them to turn from the sins that are killing them, that they might know the life-giving Savior who died for them. That's what he wants. I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I was, I was listening to a, a guy preach this passage, and he talked about this, this, this um, Chinese man who had been a, an actor in the, in the days, in, in, in um, years gone by. He had been an actor in China, 
and he had been a, a famous Chinese actor, but then he had fallen afoul of the, of the Communist Party and he had to flee the country. And he wound up fleeing to Australia where he became a Christian. And then he went back to China. And when he landed in China, he said, Lord, for a start, would you let me lead 2,000 people to trust Christ? That's ambition for the gospel. That's ambition for the gospel. Look at the connection between Paul praying and him longing and then him planning and, and wanting to reap a harvest. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. We got, we got a meeting during potluck today, and we need, we need people to go into the harvest. I would encourage you to go to that third floor classroom above the nursery and hear about how you can be involved in this. I would encourage you again to come on Wednesday night and, and join us as we, as we pray. This guy, Jay Budzieszewski, he wrote this book called How to Stay Christian in College. And this is, this is what he wrote. The best advice I can give about sharing your faith. One, pray for the chance to share your faith. Two, pray to be ready to share your faith. Three, pray for discretion in sharing your faith. Four, pray for words to share your faith. Five, pray for patience to listen as you share your faith. Six, pray for God to prepare your friend's heart and mind as you share your faith. Seven, pray to thank God for the opportunity to glorify his name. This is the business that we want to be about. This is the work that we want to devote ourselves to. Look at verses 14 and 15 where we see Paul's indebted willingness. So we see his prayer in verses 8 through 10, his longing in verses 11 and 12, his plans and purpose in verse 13, and now his indebted willingness in verse 14 and 15. He says in verse 14, I am under obligation... Um, they render it that way. That the, the text literally says the King James used to render it, um, I am a debtor. And, and he's not in debt in the sense that he spent up a whole bunch of money that he didn't have and now he has to pay it back. He's in debt in the sense that he's been giving, given something to give to someone else. And he's obligated. He's indebted to those people until he gives it to them. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He's putting it this way because I think what he means is, I'm under obligation to everybody. I've been given this glorious good news about how people can be reconciled to God, how their sins can be forgiven, how their guilt can be washed away, how their lives can be transformed. I am under obligation to communicate it to them, all of them. And that obligation... And I think the glorious good news that he's heard makes him say, verse 15, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This indebted willingness, this eagerness to proclaim the gospel. Uh, I hope that you're getting uh, these, these uh, updates from um, Blakely, our friend, our sister who's gone out from us. And I hope you read these updates um, not long ago, just a few weeks ago, on a Wednesday night, uh, the, the, the work that she's involved in, in a place I won't name, 
um, they had run into some legal issues with a, a camp that they were going to they were going to use for an English camp, and she commun communicated to us that asking that we pray, and we prayed, and praise God, some members of this congregation, whom I'm not seeing, but I'm, they're probably here, they sent her a note and told her that we had prayed for her, and then, and then she reported on what happened. The doors opened, the Lord provided, and she sends this glorious update about what happened, and in the update... Um, there are all these answered prayers, not only that they were able to hold the events, but that we have a new brother and sister in Christ. And, that, and, and then there was this, one of, these, one of these accounts went through all the, the random, surprising, providential details. And the small part that she played in these people coming to know Jesus. There's all this stuff that happens that results in these people Coming to the, to the place where they're ready to say, she described it in, in the C.S. Lewis phrase, taking the long way round. Uh, these, these people come to a place where they turn from dead idols to serve the living God. Where they turn from their sin and unbelief to the Savior. We, we have a message given to us by the world-making God about his life-saving power and the way that he has accomplished that through his son who loved us and gave himself for us. It is incumbent upon us. We are indebted. We are obligated to share this good news with people. And, and we, we want to pray that the Lord would give us opportunities and that, and that when we speak the gospel, the Spirit would do the work. And miracles would happen in people's hearts. So I've told you the way that I think you need to apply this sermon. We want to do what Paul articulates in these verses. Verses 8 through 10, Paul's prayer, we want to pray. Verses 11 and 12, we want to long we want to feel a longing because of the lostness that's out there. We want to long for the Yazidis to come to know Jesus. So that when one of their abused daughters wants to come home, she can come home. This girl, the reason, the reason she didn't go back to her people is because she didn't trust them. They first said, you can't bring that little boy back. And then they said, oh, come on back. And she said, I didn't trust them. She didn't trust them not to, not to do away with that child. We want to long for those people to, to come to know Jesus. We want to long for people that have not heard the gospel here to come to know Jesus. And then we want to do just like Paul and plan and purpose that we might see fruit. And then we want to pay our debt. We are obligated. And it feels so good, doesn't it? I mean, maybe you've listened to the radio and you've heard people celebrate when their debts are paid. How much better? How much better? To feel this obligation from the goodness of the gospel and then to feel the rejoicing that comes when we pay our debt. Let's pray. Father, you are a good and gracious king. You are a good, good father. And you have loved us with an everlasting love that goes beyond our ability to describe. And Lord, we pray that you would change us. We pray, Lord, that you would put in us a greater love for Christ, 
a greater love for people, and a boldness. A boldness to celebrate people, to serve people, to invite people, to communicate the gospel with people. And Lord, we pray that you would do miracles as we do this. We pray that you would cause people whose hearts are hard to repent. And we pray that you would cause people who have been trying to satisfy themselves in broken cisterns. We pray, Lord, that they would come to the living waters. And we pray, Lord, that, that you'd make us faithful, faithful to pray, faithful to seek you, faithful to remember our brothers and sisters who have gone abroad. And Lord, if you're thwarting our efforts, we pray that you'd make us faithful to continue to preach the gospel in this, maybe in this place that we didn't intend to be. Lord, we ask that your name would be made great and that through all this, the Lord Jesus would be magnified by the power of the Spirit. Amen.